Our scripture today comes from John chapter 4, verses 4 to 42. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles in front of you, it's on starting on page 1651. So let's begin. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Uh, The text is uh, a lectionary text. I actually like... (laughs) I think you were led by the Spirit to to stop. I wasn't going to preach on anything after that anyway. So. <laughs> um, did you hear the pipes creaking? I hadn't heard that in a while. It's been a while since I've been here. But it does connect to uh, this living water and what we were talking about um, in Sunday school, which was uh, new wine and new wineskins. And... Because there's a boiler downstairs, and that's what's heating the water. And the, uh, the, it's not a wineskin, it's a copper pipe that goes all throughout here. 
and that new hot water is flowing through it, and what happens when the new hot water comes through it is that it starts creaking. <laughs> Something's changing around here, and then we hear, you know, but it's a good thing. I like heat. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes either, but I'm just, I'm just riffing here. I can do that. I'm, I'm back home. <laughs> it's good, good to be here. Uh, if, if I, I know most of you, I'm not sure if I know all of you. Uh, I grew up in this church from as long as I can remember, and uh, my parents are are here, and uh, it's good to be back. I'm a pastor in North Carolina. Uh, my wife Karen um, has a few jobs. One of which is uh, to be a worship director, worship leader at. Clemens United Methodist Church, and so she's uh, working today. They, not working anymore, but they had their worship service uh, at 9:45. Usually, she's with me. Usually, my kids are with me here. Uh, Kaylee and Josh, uh, 14 and 11, now uh, high school and middle school. I appreciate your prayers. I know it's probably going to get even rougher, um, but that's a, a joyful part of life too. Um, and I need to learn how to let go, which is also part of this message, uh, but it wasn't in my notes. <clears throat> Kathy mentioned about rest, and I just got a book delivered from Amazon when I was here, and my wife opened it, and it's called Sacred Rest by Sandra Dalton Smith, Um, and I'm looking forward to read it. There's a website called restquiz.com, and I took the quiz, and I heard her on the radio, and I took the quiz, and I bought the book, and she's a Christian, and it's called Sacred Rest, and she believes, and I think she's probably on to something, that there are seven kinds of rest that we need, physical Mental, spiritual, emotional. Maybe you've been on an emotional roller coaster (laughs) and you just need a couple days where you're not on that anymore. Uh, Emotional, social, sensory. Anyone look at a computer for 12 hours a day and you need rest from the screen? Or creative. Maybe after Handel wrote The Messiah in nine days, he needed a break. (laughs) Um, So you can take a quiz online for free, and it will ask you a bunch of different questions related to those seven areas and and then give you some feedback. You know, maybe I I need, I'm creative in my job, and I'm creating all the time, all the time, and I I need a few days where I'm not creative because you can't always uh, be in the flow state. So, all right, last thing before we get to the real, real thing. Speaking of creative, the author of our hymn that we just sang, uh, I'm going to guess his parents, I mean, he's probably really creative, because he wrote all these great words, but his parents named him William Williams, 
which is not that creative, at least to me. <laughs> and I'm a music nerd, and I just look down and see these things, and I thought, well, I'm glad he's more creative than his parents. <laughs> and thank God for um, people who can take words and put them together, uh, like the first sermon we heard this morning from uh, the author of Jesus Calling. And that, if you didn't hear anything else, that's probably all you need to hear. <laughs> and maybe you've got to find some nicknames for those problems that you have. Let's pray. Lord, we've gathered today in this place um, that has been a spiritual home for many, that has uh, weathered many storms. Um, we're gathered with sisters and brothers in Christ, some of whom are celebrating new life, others who are mourning the loss of loved ones or the loss of a life that used to be and is no longer possible. And each, with our own stories, are here uh, hoping to hear uh, from you, not so much from me, but what it is that can uh, make a difference in our personal lives and in our life together. And help us to hear your voice, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What do you do um, when God answers your prayer, but not in the way that you were expecting? What do you do when God answers your prayer, but in a way that is uncomfortable or uh, painful? Do you thank God? Do you complain? Do you take back your prayer? If I'd known you would have answered it that way, I'd take it back. <laughs> I might have said that once in a while. Do you ask for grace or patience or acceptance? What do, you, what do you do when God answers your prayer, but in a totally different way than you were expecting? Yesterday we gathered um, to think about uh, life together as the church, and I, there was a question I invited people to consider. If God called you on the phone today and said, hey, I, I'm going to answer one prayer that you have, um, whatever it is, except for, I, I mean, we all could use an extra million dollars, so I just said, you know, the money, money's not the answer, but what, you know, if you knew, if you knew God could give you something today at the end of the day, that you didn't have right now, what would you ask for? And one person said they would like to never have to bury a dog again because they had lived through several experiences of that in the past and if they had the chance to ask God, they'd rather not have to do that again because it's hard. Or you can insert, you know, whatever it is that you don't want to lose. And of course, 
for many people, our canine companions are some of the closest companions we have. And someone else made a, a, a gallows humor joke that God can answer that prayer by taking them home to heaven pretty soon, like tomorrow. <laughs> and then they would never have to bury their dog because the dog would be burying them. <laughs> well, certainly we don't want God to answer the prayer that way, but it would be an answer to the prayer. And for the record, I don't think that God plays jokes uh, with our lives and our prayers in a way that's, well, I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> I'll answer that prayer. But I do think that sometimes it feels that way. Um, this scripture today, John 4, is in the lectionary. It comes about every three years. So six years ago, I preached on Jesus and the woman at the well. This is a different sermon, by the way. I thought I might. It just didn't work. Because in that sermon, I talked about the drought in California. Somewhere up here is a clicker, right? Oh, here it is. Found it. All right. So, for years, I'm six years ago, five years ago, three years ago, three months ago, December... Sixth, 100% of California was in drought. 100% of the state was in some level, and 40% were in the, the darkest reds. 40% of the whole state was in extreme or exceptional drought in December. Uh, and now, we're three months later, there is no extreme, no exceptional drought in the whole state. 25%, probably now 30 because this data was from March 7th, and they've gotten more rain in the last four days. So a third, probably, maybe more, of the state is in no drought. And there's some abnormally dry areas and some mild drought in other places. Now, millions of people were praying for rain. And God brought the rain and the snow and the storms and the atmospheric rivers, which, who knew? There's rivers in the atmosphere, right? And blizzards and roofs collapsing under five feet of snow, maybe killing people. Flooded communities. Um... Yesterday, it, I saw that a couple dams or levees have been broken. Thousands of people have been evacuated from the, the low-lying areas. Uh, would anybody you know, really want to have to flee from a flood? Um, no. And, and there's real pain and suffering and, and loss of life and loss of property. And uh, it's, it's not necessarily a fun time to be in California. Here's the uh, picture from yesterday or the day before, flooded. <laughs> How do we respond when, when God answers our prayers? 
but in a surprising or unexpected way. In the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus acts in a surprising and unexpected way when he talks to a woman at a Samaritan well. And even though most Jews would have never gone anywhere near Samaria when they traveled from Jerusalem up to Galilee, Jesus made it his mission to go to this supposedly corrupt place. I'm sure his disciples thought, why on earth are we going this way? These people are... They left the faith centuries ago. They started adding in all kinds of, you know, weird practices and beliefs into the faith. They're quacks, apostates. And Jesus went there, and in the heat of noon, was hot and tired and said, let's take a break, and sent the disciples off to get some food and saw a woman who was there in the heat of the day, which and was alone, and struck up a conversation with her. And what a contrast the meeting he had in chapter 4 is with John chapter 3, when a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader, came to visit Jesus. The contrast, he was a man, now Jesus is talking to a woman. He was Jewish, she was Samaritan. He had power, influence, money, all of these things. She had little to none. Nicodemus came at night, likely afraid to talk to Jesus in public. He had a lot to lose. Jesus talks with this woman in broad daylight and breaks a number of social customs. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. She was a sinful person person, it appears, or at least marginal, and worshipped on a mountain that they could see right a mile away from the well. Nicodemus recognized Jesus was from God. We know you're from God, and he asks a theological question. She doesn't know who this strange man is. A rabbi? Oh, then he tells her about her past and all the husbands she's had. Well, I can see you're a prophet, she says, and then and she asked another question or two, and then by the end she, are you the Messiah? And she goes and tells her neighbors. We don't know how long it took Nicodemus to come to faith. We do know that at the crucifixion he was there asking for Jesus' body. So he, he did follow Jesus, but it might have taken a while for him to get there. This woman met him at the well responded immediately, went and became an evangelist and brought her whole town to meet Jesus. It was quite uh, two, two stories, one man, Jesus, two different encounters. And we, we each have our own, you know, maybe we're more like Nicodemus or maybe we're more like the Samaritan woman or somewhere in between. But Jesus meets us where we are. And he invites us to think about life and faith a little bit differently than we've thought about it before and pushes us <laughs> or steps on our toes or makes us uncomfortable because Nicodemus didn't really like to think about the faith the way that Jesus was thinking, you know, 
You need to be born again, born from above. Your whole way is too backward. Or this woman, well, she thought, you know, we need to worship here. We're not part of you people, you, you Jews. We, we've got our own way. Well, there's a time coming where you're not going to worship at this mountain or in the temple, but you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So they're at this well. Now, um, some of you know, maybe others don't, that there's a, a well about 200 feet that way. Because when they built, I, I don't know when the well was built. That was a question I had. But I'm going to guess when they built, I, I bet that they didn't have water when they first built this in 1912. Maybe the well was dr- dug then, but I'm going to guess that it was dug when they built the houses right there because there was one well and two houses, the, or Dunker Hall and the old house that was back there shared the same well. Because if you're going to pay hundreds of dollars to bring a rig out here and drill a well, you might, you might as well share the water. And Jesus, you know, was asking for water from the well. It was a community well in Samaria. So here's our well. <laughs> And the water tastes kind of funky, which is why most at the time people drink. And be careful, because the, never mind, sorry. Uh, (laughs) But you couldn't really meet somebody there by the well. Um, But the pipes come from that well, and does anybody know how deep it, I don't know how deep it is. Um, But for decades, that well has allowed this church to function. We've had events here. We've cooked a lot of soups and washed a lot of feet with water from that well. And Jesus is at this well and asks for a drink of water. And she uh, responds with the question, and then he tells her, actually, you know, you should be asking me for water, and I'd, I'd give you living water. What do you think that means, living water? One thing that living water means is running or flowing water, as opposed to still water. Still uh, water. And, <laughs> and what is it in German for uh, bubbly water? Spruder. So it's living, it's, it's bubbling, it's, you know. Other languages kind of have, you can't just say wasser. You have, it's still. So, that same idea. You've got living water and dead water. <laughs> dead water is, is in a pond, in a lake, it is in a container. But living water is flowing. In the Didache, which is basically the earliest manual for how to do things in church, um, it was written in you know, the second century, and they told you how to do a baptism, and it says... Um, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in living water. But if you don't have living water, then baptize in other water. And if you don't, ha- uh, and if you cannot do that in cold water, then in warm water. And if you don't have cold or warm water, then you can pour out water thrice, three times, upon the head. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
So it's a manual. It's a rubric, right? What do you do for baptism? You go to the stream or to the river. But if you can't go there, then you could go to a pond or a lake or some other place because it's cold out there, cold water. But if you don't have that option, then you can go to a, a baptistry inside that's warm water because it's been sitting for a while and it's warmed up. And if you don't have any of those things available, then you can pour out water three times on somebody's head, which is why when the Brethren were founded in the 1700s, they read translations of the Didache in a history book, and they're like, well, okay, three times, and baptize means immerse, so that's why we're doing it. And that's why the old brethren were like, we're going out to the creek <laughs> to get baptized, because that's how they did it in the early church. In my ministry, I've had the privilege of um, baptizing 13 people. Twelve of them have been immersion and one by pouring. And I'll call uh, the man Steve. He was 52 when I baptized him, the oldest person I've baptized. He was in his last days, um, was living in the Kate B. Reynolds Hospice Home for a week or so, and he requested to be baptized. And his life came to a tragic end because of years of alcohol abuse. Uh, beginning in childhood when he, I don't know the pains that he had, but he tried to numb his pain with beer. And as he grew up and married and then divorced, uh, tried to drown that pain by drinking it away. And worked for three decades in law enforcement where he encountered crime, violence, and death regularly and would come home and drink 12 beers. But the pain wouldn't stop. And the drinks never satisfied his longing. God, however, never gave up on Steve and he just showed up one day in the church and was only there for a few months. But he was responding to, a, he knew he was dying. I didn't know it until about a month before. It was a pretty quick, oh my goodness, kind of thing. But he knew he needed to get right with God. And so um, I visited in the hospital and then in the, in the hospice home and and we talked, and would you like to, have you been baptizing? Would you like to be? Okay. So uh, it was in January of 2018, and there was a snowstorm, <laughs> like four inches of snow. And I had called, um, and they don't put a whole lot of stuff on the roads in North Carolina. They, I wasn't worried to drive in it. I picked up one of our deacons. I had some other deacons that were going to meet us there. And we almost didn't make it up. We, there's one big hill right before you get to the, um, to the hospice home. And people were going off the side of the road left and right and then and didn't get enough speed to get going and then were stuck. And it's always their fault, right? They don't know what they're doing out there. <laughs> but I almost didn't make it up the hill because of these other guys. But we did. And I had that old deacon next to me and I'm 
sweating, thinking this is not how we want to have this day go <laughs> in a ditch. We made it there, and I brought two bowls with me, um, and I scooped up some snow in one bowl. And after we had prayed and shared some songs, that had become water. And I, I baptized Steve with the snow water. And it was special. The other uh, bowl, I had made a snowball. and Packed it together, and afterwards I said, Hey, is there anyone, you want to have a snowball fight? <laughs> and he, he picked it up and threw it at his brother, who <laughs> was there. And we all laughed. And it was sad. I mean, it was the last snowball he ever threw. But there was a lot of joy also in the face of death because we had welcomed a brother into the family of God, who had been suffering for years, but had found a sense of peace and a family and could know that his sins were forgiven and could know that he had eternal life. He, he had been baptized in living water. Living water is, however, more than just flowing water or snow water. It is the, the spirit that comes within us. Uh, John chapter 7, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the, the Spirit will flow from our lives out into the world, into others' lives. The Holy Spirit is, is a, a spring up, oh well, there's a song, right? Within my soul. Jesus offers us the living water to quench our, our spiritual thirst, water that is continually welling up and overflowing into eternal life. And so, in a world where a lot of people are hurting, a lot of people are thirsty, a lot of people are trying to find peace and are looking to all kinds of things to provide that. Uh, Jesus meets us and invites us to, to drink from the living water. Because the other things out there just won't satisfy. So let's do what the woman did and ask. Ask for living water. Maybe you're here today like the Samaritan woman, this is your first real encounter with Jesus. You've been searching for unconditional acceptance or protection, forgiveness, hope, a relationship with God, the God who made you. Jesus offers living water and can meet those deeper needs that the world will never satisfy. Maybe you're here today and you've been journeying with Jesus for many years, but are hot and tired and just worn out and the journey is long and your friends or your family drain you more than they fill you up or you go to a job that just sucks the joy out of life whatever it is 
you're tired, and Jesus offers you living water that meets the deepest needs of your life that the world will never satisfy. Or maybe you're here today and you're a member of Drainsville Church of the Brethren and you have been in this retreat all weekend long, packing for the future, leaning on the Lord, and you love these people so much that you gave up an entire weekend to be with your church family. And you pray for and dream of a thriving congregation in the future and you also have fears that your dream is dying. And Jesus offers this church living water that can meet your needs, that exceedingly and abundantly can provide more than all you could ask or imagine. And maybe that answer, hopefully that answer, might come through a soft and gentle rain that saturates the parched soil. Or maybe the answer will come through a storm or a blizzard collapsing the roofs and the dams and the structures, the wineskins of the congregation that cannot anymore, can no longer support or contain the new wine, the living water. Only God knows.